This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and we're thrilled that you are here with us today. So excited to have you this morning. Uh, I want to encourage everyone at this time to reach into the seat back in front of you. You can find one of these fancy connect cards, not really that fancy, but, um, and you can uh, put your name and information on there. Uh, If you are new, we would love to have your address uh, and we'd love to send you uh, just something simple in the mail this week to say thank you for being here. Uh, but there's lots of other pieces of information you can communicate there, prayer requests, decisions that you've made, other things you want us to know about. So take a moment, uh, fill that out this morning. You can drop it in the offering bags as they go by or in one of the boxes as you exit at the end of our service today. Uh, before we go any further, though, a couple of weeks ago, we were sharing some stories, or I'm sorry, we were talking about um, uh, praying for kind of closed doors that uh, get uh, closed in front of us, but also looking for open doors. And uh, we kind of have a story that uh, came up out of some of that uh, this week. And so I'm going to invite Karen uh, Merrick to come up this morning. This is my wife. And uh, she had something that she felt like God kind of opened a door before her. She wasn't sure about it, but she went ahead and did it. And she just wants to share a little bit about that. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, So one of the things that I felt like the Lord was asking me to do was just to make sure that my kids knew how um, important prayer was to me. I'm going to get all emotional. (laughs) Um, And so one of the things that um, I felt like I was supposed to do was I was supposed to pray, like, on the campus of our school, like, with my kids. Um, So, uh, yeah, I was actually on a flight out to California for work, and so I typed up sort of, like, all these prayers on my phone um, of, like, where we could pray around campus. Um, And then I, you know, put out a Facebook invite and invited a few friends and didn't know um, what it would be. But I felt like no matter what happened, it it really didn't matter. Like, I was being faithful to um, to just doing what God asked me to do. Um, And so at our event, you know, we're we're telling the kids sort of what it is and what what it's about. And, you know, my kids are like, oh, I have a question. Do we have to pray? No, you don't have to pray. You're, we're just going to walk all together, you know. Another question, um, do we have to do this? Yes, you have to do this. We're going to do it as a group. Um, are we almost done? Can You know, like these are, these are the questions from my kids, you know, so I'm just kind of like laughing inside and like, okay, Lord, all you did was ask me to be here and to set this up and, you know, the ripple effect is, is in your hands, right? Um, and even this morning as I asked my daughter, like Lucy, I was like, so what did you think about the prayer walk? She was like, three things. One, and it was like immediate. One, my hand hurt. Um, two, it, it, it was um, kind of hot. And three, it wasn't as important to me because I'm a kid and you're an adult. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, Lord, you know, this is even getting funnier. But um, one of the things that did happen is, um, you know, there was like 14 of us like around our school um, in Hopewell. But um, Heidi ended up taking that same idea and doing it in Monroe. And um, they had over 50 people show up um, across all of these different churches, like people that she didn't even know. 
Um, and I know the women were meeting here um, at the same time, and you guys prayed with us. And, and there were people that reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm going to pray with these prayers with my kids before they go to school. And so, um, you know, it was just, you know, exciting to see, like, you know, maybe my kids were <laughs> affected by this or it wasn't. But based on um, just doing what I felt like the Lord asked me to do, um, I feel like more people are praying with their kids and praying about the school year and, um, and how their kids can be a light in the, in the classroom. So the only other thing I would just say is there's always an event like every fall that's called See You at the Pool. Um, it's an event that has to be just um, led by students. No adults um, can lead it because it's on the campuses. But it is um, on Wednesday, September 27th. And so across not only the U.S. but the world, students come to their campuses and they pray for their school year and they pray for their campuses. So if you guys would just write that down and pray with our students. Um, they're such amazing people and they can be so kind and generous and can be a light for um, the other students that are really hurting in their school. So that's all I want to say. Thanks. What I love about that was it would have been one of those things that it was easy to say no to. Uh, you know, God pushed that off. That's a nice idea, but somebody else can run with it. But just some faithfulness. And, and then you saw how it rippled. It went to another school. And I wonder how many times uh, a parent that was there might show up in the uh, drop-off line or the pickup line or whatever, how that ever works for them, um, and just or drive by the school during the day and just say a prayer. And uh, the ripple effects of that, I believe, continue. And so we wanted to just take a moment and celebrate uh, kind of something that we had talked about uh, that at least got a little bit of traction. So uh, with that, let me just take a moment and pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our topic. Dear God, we have sung praises to you of your power and your strength and your glory and your goodness and your love for us. We've heard a story of how faithfulness can work, even in small ways. God, my prayer is that you continue to move and work in this time. We know that you are here. We know that you have a lesson. You have something that you want each of us, whether this is our first time or our hundredth time here, something you want to teach us today. Help us, God, to be obedient to that. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, welcome to the final week of our summer-long teaching series entitled Wanderers. In the summers, uh, one of the things we like to do is kind of take a, uh, a section of Scripture and take a longer look at it, uh, spend some time reading through it, um, and really kind of diving into it. And so uh, we've done that in a variety of ways. We've done kind of a survey of the Old Testament, the New Testament. We've done character studies, different things. This summer, what we're doing is we took a, a book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, a book that sometimes we pass by because uh, it's not as exciting as some of the others, and we uh, really kind of dive in, dove into the book of Numbers. And the book of Numbers essentially tells the story from uh, when the people of Israel, God's people, were enslaved uh, to Pharaoh in Egypt and how they traveled through the desert to this promised land. And so it's really just this wandering period. In fact, as you will find out today, at the end of the book of Numbers, they don't even make it into the promised land. They're still just right on 
the edge. And so that's kind of what the uh, book of Numbers is about. And this journey gets extended because of unfaithful choices. We wanted to take some time to try and learn from those choices, maybe that we could make more faithful ones. Last week, uh, we talked about Numbers chapter 33, and it was kind of this pep talk that Moses was giving the people. They were right up on the edge of the promised land, and he's, uh, he's trying to kind of give them some guidance of what they're going to need uh, when they cross over, when they go into this new land. And if you remember, we talked about them needing two things. They, he recapped their journey uh, essentially all the way through and kind of highlighted special parts. And as he did that, it was trying to bring out two things. One, thankfulness. Israel simply needed to understand that God had brought them through all of this period in the desert. That's something we have to understand. All that God brings us through, how he's been with us. And so Israel, we need simply to be thankful. The second thing that uh, it tried to highlight was to trust. Because kind of once you have that thankfulness, once that base is already there, then you can begin to believe that that same God who had been with you through the desert was going to be with you in this new foreign occupied promised land that you knew was going to be yours one day. Last week, we really focused in on the thankfulness part. This week, we want to focus in on the trust part. Uh, the rest of Numbers chapter 33 and kind of the preceding chapters, if you did some reading this week, um, it, it focuses on kind of some commandments, uh, some laws that they're going to have in the new promised land. They talk about how they're going to divide it up a little bit uh, and some various things and so one of the things I thought that we would do as we kind of ended uh, this uh, section of Scripture, this series, this summer, was that we wouldn't end right on the edge of the promised land like the book of Numbers. We would move to kind of their first battle uh, and as they move into the promised land to conquer it. And so to do that, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6 today. Joshua chapter 6. If you've got a Bible with you, you can open to that. Uh, if you have a smart device, you can find it there, or the words will be on the screen behind me. Jo Joshua chapter 6, verse uh, 1, and uh, we're going to kind of follow through there. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Uh, kind of to understand uh, what they mean by this, we have to understand how uh, cities worked in this period. Cities, uh, oftentimes the agriculture was outside. Most of the people lived outside and they had this uh, fort, uh, this city that was walled. And then if they had someone came to uh, invade, they simply brought everybody inside. And so um, one of the things that is happening in this period, Jericho, uh, is the oldest city in this region. And so it's undoubtedly seen many battles. It's well fortified. We don't know exactly how tall, but we know in this period they could build uh, kind of slanted um, walls that would, could go up about 50 feet. They'd be between 25 feet and 10 feet, depending on where they were and how tall uh, the wall was. The bases were made out of stone 
And uh, there simply was no military weapon in this period that could conquer a wall like that. Remember, this is mostly spears and uh, swords. And so the best military strategy was to just bring everybody inside. You knew uh, an army was coming at you. These cities, they were built around wells, and they often had huge storehouses for food. Many believe they could last a year or more just shut up in the city. And so that's precisely what has happened here in Jericho. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Isn't it interesting here that um, Jericho has deployed this military strategy that really has been un- undefeated. It's, it's not beatable. Nobody knows how to defeat this strategy. And God says, look, they're sitting ducks. It's a kind of a glimpse of the difference of perspective from God and humanity. The people of Israel, as they crossed the Jordan River, that, that was another story, but uh, the Jordan River was quite high at the time, and so um, God parted the water. They walked across, and the first place they found was Jericho. Jericho was this important city because they couldn't skip it by. It was kind of the first one as they crossed. And if they went around it, then uh, their flank would be exposed and they'd never really be safe. They had to conquer Jericho. And as soon as they crossed into this promised land that they had been given, they see this giant problem, these huge, well-fortified walls problem they needed a plan for, a problem that, that God, a plan God gives them in Joshua verse, chapter 6, verse 3 and following. God says this, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the ram's horns, the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and he said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the seven priests carried the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city, with the Lord God going ahead of the ark of the Lord. This is a part you just have to love here. Israel, who has been wandering the desert, right, for 40 years, that's what we've been talking about all summer long. Israel, this people who their forefather Abraham had received the promise for this very land that they had now kind of walked into 400 years before They get there, finally. They step onto the land, and here's the plan. Take these trumpets, take uh, these musical instruments, and march everybody around the city. Do it for a week. Doesn't sound like much of a plan, right? 
I mean, Joshua and a few of the people, they had to say, really? We came all this way for this? This doesn't seem like much of a military strategy. And yet Joshua pushes all that aside, and they obey. Verse 8 When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Then the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard following the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Imagine that you lived in Jericho. Maybe you've been through this before, but you kind of, you make your way up to the top of the high walls around and you peer over the top because there's not much else to do, remember? You're all collapsed in together, shut in together, and you look down and you see the army and you've probably seen a few things, a few strategies before, but you've never seen this one before. They're just marching around the outside. Again, then they go away. They come back the next day, do the same thing again. Six days in a row, they do this. Imagine maybe that this was your home. You'd heard there were some burglaries, burglaries in the area. And so you're being extra vigilant, you're keeping an eye out, you're watching, and you see some strangers in your backyard, and they're standing there, and then they go around the perimeter, and you kind of watch them, they get in their car, and they go. Then they show up the next day, and they do the same thing, and the next day, how do you respond? You're kind of, you're freaking out, right? Like, this is, this is strange, this is weird, what is this? About That's exactly what's happening here in Jericho. Then verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, shout. For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. This is, he's giving them um, the commands that he got from, from God. Only Rahab the prostitute and all that who are in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that they will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted in the sound of, at the sound of the trumpet. When the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And every man charged straight in and they took the city. So God made a plan. A strange plan, but a plan nonetheless, a a, a plan that sounded strange to Joshua, to us, but Joshua obeyed. 
And God did what no man, no army could do. He crumbled this huge wall, this huge barricade before them. They took the city and gained possession of the first of about 30 cities that they needed to defeat in this new place. And so that's the story of how Israel goes from enslaved through the desert um, to kind of having finally the promised land, a land that was, uh, they were told about by their forefather Abraham 400 years ago, a land they had wandered the desert 40 years waiting to possess. What I notice in this passage is that for at least the time being, Israel seems to have learned some of the lessons that God had been trying to teach them in the desert. They show quite a bit of trust here. This doesn't always uh, hold true for Israel. We'll, we'll see that if you read just a little bit further. You see that it quickly kind of, they fall into some of their own old patterns. But here in this moment, they're showing quite a bit of trust. The complainers, they seem to be gone. I mean, how many times did we read this summer about the people complaining about something on the journey to God? And the people who sided with the 10 spies when they sent the 12 in and 10 came back and said, the city's too big, it's too well fortified, the people are too strong, we will never be able to defeat it. And all the people began to side with the 10. All those people are silent or gone. They're not there anymore. Joshua and those that remain are trusting God and his plans. Even when those plans don't quite make sense. And a gigantic barrier, a wall, a seeming unsurmountable obstacle crumbles before them. Today, I want to talk about some of the ways Israel trusted God in this story. How they trusted God in uh, some examples of how we can, maybe different ways we can trust God when we have obstacles before us. I have three for us today. First is the Israel trusted in God's timing. Israel um, trusted God with their priorities. And finally, Israel trusted God with their actions. The first, God trusted, uh, Israel trusted God with their timing. Now let's get this straight. Israel doesn't always get this right. I mean, we just talked about how many times Israel complained in the desert. They were off of God's timing quite a bit. So many times we read this summer of Israel complaining, saying, you know, uh, we don't have any meat to eat here in the water. We don't have any veg or in the desert. We don't have any uh, uh, vegetables here in the desert. At least when we were back uh, with Pharaoh in Egypt, we had these things. Send us back. They forgot about the enslavement. They forgot about the chains. They forgot about the murder of their, of their sons. 
They forgot about how they just kept getting more and more work with less and less resources to accomplish it. Fourteen times, at least, in the book of Numbers alone, Israel complains. They were kind of off on God's timing. They didn't understand that God operated with more information that they did, that God was up to something that they couldn't quite see. But here in Joshua chapter 6, the timing aligns and they begin to kind of trust, okay, now is the day, Uh, now is the time. This 400 years that we have been waiting, it's finally come. This 40-year journey we have been on, it's finally come to an end. And the principle that we need to learn in this is that we can't confuse God's delay with God's denial. Can't confuse God's delay with God's denial. I mean, 400 years is a long time to wait for a promise, right? It leaves a lot of space in there for some why me moments. God, why is this happening to me? Uh, why, Why aren't we moving faster on this? I mean, if you really loved me, if you really cared for me, God, wouldn't this be going quicker? I've said those things before. But what I'm reminded of today is that God is patient even when we're in a hurry. So much angst, so much turmoil kind of internally is created because we forget that not only are we to trust in God's power and strength and goodness, but we're to trust in God's timing. We're to trust that he has perspective beyond what we have. We're to trust in him and his timing. I don't know all the reasons it took 400 years for Israel to possess the promised land. But I can tell you that they were vastly different when they crossed that Jordan River because of all the time it had taken. We must trust God's timing even when it doesn't match our own. Actually, that should probably be especially when it doesn't match our own because that's when it's hard. That's when it's tough. Second way that Israel trusted God in these passages is they trusted God with their priorities. With their priorities. You might remember uh, it's been 40 years since they left Egypt, and part of that story was uh, as they left, they were allowed to kind of go and take whatever they could carry with them. And so they went into the houses of the Egyptians and they took whatever of value they wanted and they took it with them. And so much of this is depleted and they are coming up here to the promised land, to Jericho, and they have to be looking at it saying, this is an opportunity to get some of that back. It's been a long time. Let's replace some of this. But in verses of 18 and 19, it's made clear that all the gold All the precious metals, 
are to go to the treasury of the Lord. The spoils of this first city, Jericho, are to go to God. They can have the rest of the cities, but this first one belongs to the Lord. And the principle here that we need to learn is that the first and the best always belongs to God. Israel had some pretty compelling reasons. Some pretty compelling reasons uh, why they uh, might need that money, why they might need that wealth. They'd waited a long time. It'd been a long journey. But God wanted to teach Israel that he deserved not the leftovers, not what, what remained, but what was first, what was best. God wanted Israel to learn to prioritize him. Proverbs chapter 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And verse 10 says, Then, then, underline, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Verses like Proverbs are here, like Joshua chapter 6, like so many other places in the scriptures. I talk about prioritizing God with our finances, with our money, because it's an easy way to see priorities. But our priorities, they don't stop there. They continue on. They continue on with how we uh, manage our homes, our families, uh, the thoughts that we think about, how we spend our time. The list goes on and on. But the key we have to remember is to trust God by prioritizing Him in our life. That's what God's trying to teach them there as they're finally getting to this promised land. Just because you've gotten the blessing, don't forget to keep God as a priority, God's saying. Number three, Israel trusted God with their actions. Israel doesn't really balk at God's unorthodox, unorthodox uh, plan here. They listen and obey. Any parent of a young child knows there are two distinct yet important aspects, right? To listen and obey. So many times uh, uh, my kids, they obey. They just don't listen so good. Right? They're, they're so focused in on what they're doing. They're so uh, um, uh, mesmerized with whatever game they're playing that they just don't hear me. And if I go in and I turn the TV off or if I enter the game right here with the dolls, if I, if I get down on their level and they hear the words that I'm saying, then they say, okay, yes. But they have to do both. You have to listen and obey. We have the same challenge with God. 
So many times we like to think of ourselves as obedient. We'll do what God says, but the problem is we don't spend enough time listening for him. We act like my kids playing a game, so focused on what's before us, so uh, with our attention so drawn, we just simply don't make the space. We don't try to listen. It's why church is so important. It's why reading scripture is so important. It's why uh, praying is so important because it creates space. It creates these avenues for us to hear from God. It, it makes us carve out moments in time like this one where we begin to ask, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to say to my life right now? How can I be more trusting of you? It's not just those things, though. We also have to uh, learn to cultivate kind of listening to that still, small voice. That voice that says, go talk to that stranger. This person over here, they, they seem to really be hurting. Maybe you could show some kindness. Pray for someone. Because there's these universal calls that come from Scripture to be, to be kind, to be loving, to show God's mercy and love to other people, to show his forgiveness. But how those get lived out is so often different and comes from promptings from the Spirit within us. Those are individual. The principle here. Is that the path to victory is found not simply in following yesterday's battle plan or in trying to force someone else's plan to work in our life. So many times we do this. I've done this. We hear about uh, God doing something miraculous in someone in some special way, and we try and cut and paste it and expect the same results to come into our life. I can remember hearing uh, a speaker talk about uh, how she went for this run, and God did all of these incredible things in her heart and her life. I laced up my shoes the next day with some high expectations, but it didn't quite work the same way for me. In the same way, Joshua and Israel went from Jericho to face some 30 more cities. Do you know how many times they marched around a city seven times and the walls came down? Once. Just Once. In other words, God's plans didn't change for them. His plans, his desire for the people of Israel was still for them to go in and to conquer the whole land. But how that actually happened was different every day. It was different in every city, in each situation. In Joshua, in Israel, they had to do the hard work of continuing to listen continuing to uh, kind of figure out what God's plan was for them in this new place and then obey it. 
That's one of the ways I want to challenge you today. To be obedient to God in new ways. So many times we just try and take someone else's plan. We try and take uh, the kind of what worked yesterday and we try and repeat and repeat and repeat. We stop asking God, what are the new ways you're calling me to trust you? What are the opportunities you're putting before me, the open doors, if you will, that you're asking me to walk through? To believe that you, every day, you, you have new opportunities for me to trust you in. New situations at, at work, at home. Simple things, complex things that I can begin to trust you in some new way and see what happens. See what walls might begin to fall in my life. Let's pray about that today. God, we've been in this wandering series all summer long. And I am sure that there are some of us here today who that's what life feels like right now. That's what spiritual life feels like. Aimless, wandering. Maybe we're in a time of complaining. My prayer for all of us today is that you, that we hear you calling us out of the desert. out of the desert and into the promised land, into relationship with you. We hear you calling us out of the desert of selfishness and greed and just the destruction of our own life. The choices that we've made that have just messed things up, that have complicated relationships at home, relationships with other people, that have messed up kind of uh, where we are at. God, we know that you call us from that. When you come and you say, you will be with us forever. That the key and the challenge is to put you in the center of our heart and our life. That that gives us purpose and direction and helps us find our way. God, I just want to pray for people who are not even kind of in their sphere of understanding right now. They would have the faith and the courage to just simply confess. God, I've been in the desert for too long. 
I've been in the midst of sin and brokenness for too long, and I don't want it anymore. I want you. Your word tells us that when we say those things, when we confess those things, that God, you come right into the center of our life. God, I want to pray for people in this room who For you, you've moved away from their center. You're, they're fully aware of you. They're, they're, you're part of their life, God, but just part. They feel the weight of the desert. They know what it means to wander, and my prayer is that today they sense you calling them. saying you want to be at the center of their life not off to the side God my prayer for us all is that we are challenged to trust you in new ways this week ways we haven't before in new ways that we Spend time listening, looking for open doors that we can be obedient to. We can begin to celebrate the walls that fall down all around us. In your name we pray.